Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. We bring people in and we ask them what they're trying to solve for. What are their biggest problems? Not what cool solutions we dreamt up in the shower that work or don't work. We need to start with needs to really understand if the product is viable. We prioritize outcomes over output. All of our core products are grounded in KPIs, or key performance indicators. Everything that we build is attached to a business metric and helps us move the business along. We could put out five really snazzy, cool products that don't have any KPIs attached to them, and frankly, we just don't care. One product with a key performance indicator is something that's going to get us across the line. And finally, at Spotify, we always drive towards our mission and prioritize that over quick wins. I'll get more to our mission in a little bit. It turns out when you prioritize high-impact work, like needs and outcomes and mission, that's when your MVP really begins to take shape. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? How's everyone doing? Woo! Okay, I thought I was going to have to pump you up a little bit after that break. Um, Here I am. Awesome. Great. So um, I'm so excited to be here today. I have been talking at the product school for a little bit over a year now, um, and I have enjoyed getting to know people who come to those talks and engaging with the community. So I'm so excited to be here and talk about something new um, that I haven't talked about before, which is building minimum viable products, pit stops to product visions. I've been in product management in New York City for a little over eight years now, which is crazy. Um, I've been at companies both big and small. Um, I started at AOL. I was at Rolling Stone, SoundCloud. I'm at Spotify now. So I have a huge breadth of experience um, in product management, and I'm excited to share with you today. So I'm assuming with all of you here today, you've probably done some reading on product management, and you've probably heard the word MVP before. It's a buzzword, minimum viable product. It's something you've probably read about in a book like The Lean Startup. You've probably heard it uttered in a coffee shop in Flatiron District, or you've probably heard it uttered ironically on the show Silicon Valley. It's one of those things that if you know anything about product management, you'll know about MVPs. If you don't, I will define it for you, so have no fear. Um, But I'm not here to spend time defining what it is from like a pure definition standpoint. I'm here to talk about my take on MVPs and why I think they are a pit stop to product visions and delivering a whole mission around what you're trying to build for. I think product visions are product management 101. It's something that, as a product manager, we should be thinking about day in and day out. And like I said, I've been at doing product management in New York City for about eight years now. Um, half of that time has been 
basically in a streaming space. So I think I have a really unique perspective. I'm by no means an expert at building MVP products, but I get to work with, I think, the coolest customers on the planet. I'm going to talk about them in a little bit, but I think that unique perspective will help inspire some of you to think about what you're working on in your day-to-day. I'm going to talk a little bit abstractly at the beginning, but I will try and ground us a little farther in. I'll give some examples inside of Spotify, which I'm sure you're all excited to hear more about, um, and also outside of Spotify, because I like to balance my work and outside-of-work stuff with product management. So let's start with some story time. So a couple of months ago, I volunteered for an organization that gathers technical um, professionals in New York City, designers, engineers, product managers, and gets them together and pairs them with nonprofit organizations that are looking to build tech solutions. So think of nonprofit organizations who need software, who have needs that they just can't hire for or fulfill. I was super excited about this um, opportunity, and I got paired with an organization that basically had a number of different asks, but they were all pretty vague. The organization wanted us to build a product for multiple constituents. So they wanted something that would appease their investors, but also the people possibly donating or volunteering for the organization. So they wanted us to solve for a wide net of people. They had scattered data everywhere. So they each individually had different spreadsheets and different databases of where they kept all of their information, which made it really hard for us to figure out what they actually had. They, of course, wanted us to build a multi-platform solution. So, of course, they wanted a responsive website, and they wanted an app. And they wanted us to do this in six weeks' time, and we had never met before. So it was a crazy ask, but we said, okay, we'll take a look, and um, you know, this group of people who's volunteering their time pro bono um, will figure out what your biggest problem is and try and solve for it. So we dug in, and like I said, what we really found to be the core of their issue is their lack of structured data. When the organization came to us initially, they were super excited. They were feeling like this. They were going to get a brand new website for free. They were going to get a team of technical professionals who were ready to build them a sexy new website to give to their investors and to share out with everyone to get more donations. But when it came down to it, we proposed a data tool, and they kind of felt like this. They were pretty disappointed because when we told them that their biggest problem was their lack of structured data, they just weren't really having it. This is a non-inspirational paraphrased quote from the director who commissioned the project. She basically looked at us and she said, if we can't build everything, then why build anything at all? And I was like, fair point. Um, So... We talked to her a little bit, and we just couldn't really talk her off the ledge about why she needed to get her data in order first. So she ended up scrapping the project entirely, and we never ended up getting to build anything at all. And I have to say, in my experience over the past eight years, her perspective and her sentiment is not unique. Many times throughout my career, I've heard this question or variations of this question. Why build anything if it's not everything that we want to build? And the whole point of this, I'm here to tell you there's a reason for why we don't commit to building everything at once. Simply put, building everything just isn't effective. It's a huge waste of time, money, that's people and actual financing, 
and precious brain power. Think about how many things that you can work on in a day. Companies big and small, as big as Spotify with seemingly unlimited resources, always have limited resources. And when we think about it, if you're building something that's worthwhile, you need to appease your customer and your marketplace to move quickly. You need to hustle. Regardless of how many smart people or how many productive tools you have, there's always limited resources. I'm sure all the way up to Google and back. Um, so you need to think about how to optimize those resources and how to get that hustle on. And so, Q and MVP. Minimum viable product, put quite literally, is the smallest piece of passable product or delivery to your user. So what's the smallest thing that you can build? My personal definition, sorry. It's a tool or a framework that helps teams to solve their most important user problems in the cheapest way. So the jury definition is the biggest bang for your buck. This is something that I view as your first stop towards working towards your product vision. Now, I know a lot of you are PMs or maybe aspiring PMs, but let's back up a little bit just to lay some groundwork and get a shared understanding of what a user problem is. A user problem is simply a problem. It's your customer's pain point and your biggest pain point that your product and you as a PM are trying to solve for. You're thinking about your customer problems day in and day out. User problems help keep us user-focused, and we like to think of them at Spotify as a paradigm of needs and goals. So I want to do this so that I can achieve this. I'll get into some more examples because I know that's super abstract right now. With this user-centric approach, we can stay problem-focused rather than solution-focused, which is key when we're thinking about building MVPs. At Spotify, we obsess over user problems, and I'm really happy that um, Ben went before this to talk a bit more about user research and how important and integral that is to our process. We will rarely start an initiative, be it someone picks up a pen, or in this case a mouse, and starts really iterating on a topic. Um, we will never fund anything without truly understanding what the, the core of the user problem is. It turns out when you rally around user problems, you end up prioritizing impact. So you prioritize needs over solutions. At Spotify, we invest a ton of time in user research. We bring people in and we ask them what they're trying to solve for. What are their biggest problems? In the music industry, which I'll get to in a second, there are a lot of problems. And we try and figure out what are their core problems, not what cool solutions we dreamt up in the shower that work or don't work. We need to start with needs to really understand if the product is viable. We prioritize outcomes over output. All of our core products are grounded in KPIs, or key performance indicators. Everything that we build is attached to a business metric and helps us move the business along. We could put out five really snazzy, cool products that don't have any KPIs attached to them, and frankly, we just don't care. One product with a key performance indicator is something that's going to get us across the line. And finally, at Spotify, we always drive towards our mission and prioritize that over quick wins. I'll get more to our mission in a little bit. It turns out when you prioritize high-impact work, like needs and outcomes and mission, that's when your MVP really begins to take shape. 
Now I want to pause here because I think it's important to point out, while it goes without saying, MVPs are subjective. An MVP for me on my team within the creator mission at Spotify is going to look very different than an MVP for a PM at Spotify on another team. Say that 10 times fast. Um, that's going to look really different at every different company. And so I'm not here to tell you how to build an MVP and be super prescriptive about what to do. I think the context that I have to share is the key takeaway here. And so it's important to remember that basically MVPs are your own and they're subjective. All right, so let's dig in to Spotify because I'm sure that's what you're really interested in. This is our mission, Spotify's mission, to unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their work and billions of fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by it. This is huge. There's a lot to unpack here, and I won't attempt to do that, but I'm going to break it down for you, and I'm going to share with you what I do. These are my users, a million creative artists, and we're focused on optimizing and giving them the opportunity to live off of their work. Think about that a million creative artists. That's not just artists, that's songwriters, that's labels, artist managers, producers. It's a whole breadth of different customers that I get to work with. A piece of life advice that I realize I'm really lucky to have had is I've gotten to work with an amazing customer set. Because I'm so passionate about artists and the creator side of the business, I feel that I've been more successful and more effective as a PM. If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com slash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. I know it's not always possible, but if you ever get the opportunity to really focus in on an opportunity that you can work with customers you truly empathize with, I would recommend taking it. So when we founded the creator mission, we turned to our biggest, our users' biggest problems. So there were so many different problems. We founded the creator mission only a couple of years ago, but Spotify was started about 10, 12 years ago. We learned about so many different problems from so many different constituents. As a musician, I want to promote my music so that I can gain an audience on Spotify and perhaps fund going on tour one day. As a label, I want to deliver my music to Spotify so that I could garner streams and then pay out my artists for the work that they're giving me. And as a manager, I want to analyze my artist catalog so that I can monitor my performance. So perhaps I can figure out a release strategy when I'm putting out my music. There were so many places to start, and it was a little overwhelming to say the least. But we figured there was one key place that we could start, and that was with artists. Artists were at the core of our mission. They were the people delivering content to Spotify day in and day out, and they were the reason that consumers like you were coming back to the platform to listen. We found that as people were putting content on the platform and people like you were listening to the content on the platform, that we were amassing large amounts of data. And these, da and these data points were driving insights, insights that were uniquely Spotify-owned. We realized that these artists didn't have a way to quantify their success on the platform. And this was a great place for us to start. Outside of quantifying success on the platform, we were giving them new key performance indicators. Traditionally, 
artists were using billboard charts or uh, digital download sales, uh, merch sales, sales from tours to kind of quantify how successful they were. But we were helpful in driving this new kind of success on the platform. So we started with simple stats. We didn't start with everything. We worked with user research and tried to understand those big buckets of work and big buckets of insights that were important to our users. We realized that audience, song, and playlist data were the most important buckets to our users, and they were going to be the most impactful early on. Our artists and their teams wanted to know who was listening to their content on the platform. How old were they? Where were they located? Artists wanted to know which of their songs were performing better than others, and should they pour more promotion dollars into other songs than others. They also wanted to know more about where they were being discovered. Our editorial and algorithmic playlists are a huge asset on Spotify, and so we wanted to make sure that artists knew where they were appearing and when they were appearing on the platform. Like I said, these were simple stats. It wasn't everything, and we did that for a reason. And so we launched Spotify Fan Insights in 2015. It was a simple analytics tool, not everything. Imagine, with all this consumer and creator data coming in at once, we could have just dumped everything on them. I don't know if any of you have ever used Google Analytics, but it's very overwhelming if you've never used it before. And if we gave them everything, we probably would have scared them away, possibly. So we delivered Spotify Fan Insights, a simple analytics tool to help them figure out how they were performing on Spotify. And just like that, we converted artists into data nerds, and they started engaging in our platform in a way that they had never engaged before. Eventually, Spotify Fan Insights developed into more, but I think it's important to point out that Spotify Fan Insights was a pit stop. It wasn't our last stop. It was the first place a small... MVP that we could shape and learn and build and iterate on quickly. If we didn't start small, we would have just canvassed everything and probably scared artists away. So we started small, and then we realized with more user research what things were important to artists. We learned over time that they really wanted to send, sell merchandise on the platform, so we developed Merch Bar. We learned that they wanted to express themselves on the platform, so we allowed them to do image upload. And so we started chipping away towards this bigger mission of unlocking creativity and allowing artists to make a living on the platform. Eventually, Spotify Fan Insights rolled into Spotify for Artists. This is where we are today. We launched in 2017, and it's much more than just stats. We have profile management. We have concerts. We have real-time stats, which is a highly addictive feature that all of our artists love to use. We've become a one-stop shop, a destination for artists, and a tool for them to help them figure out how they're performing. Still not everything, but a little bit more than our MVP. About six months after we launched Spotify for Artists, we launched an app, which basically came out of the fact and learnings that artists were always on the go. They were at festivals, they were in the studio, and they needed a way to quickly understand and get access to the platform. So we developed an app, which is what you see right here. We learned to iterate quickly and not build everything. And that's how I think that we won that space. Spotify Fan Insights was our first stop, the pit stop towards the mission. 
in, along the way, we saved a ton of time, money, and brain power that enabled us to move quickly and learn quickly and chip away towards that bigger mission. Now, I think one of the big superpowers we have as a product manager is the power we wield to negotiate. And I think MVPs are incredibly negotiable. Everything is negotiable, right? Everything. Your rent, your dinner bill. Um, Time, effort, and value are three things that I see as constantly negotiable. And as a PM, it's up to you to shine a light on these three pieces and show the gives and the gets when you're thinking about the scope of an MVP. MVPs are highly collaborative. It's obviously not about you all the time, and it's much more about how you kind of facilitate the relations of your team. You are the spokesperson for your team. It's your designers, your engineers, your user research team. You are constantly thinking about their requirements and their constraints. And outside of their immediate team, you have your lawyers, your product marketing managers, your C-suite, people who have a totally different set of constraints. You're not necessarily the end-all, be-all decider when you're a PM, but you are the person who's going to shine a light on those trade-offs that you're making when your team kind of puts all their cards on the table. You are the subject matter expert in your ecosystem. We all operate in complex, different kinds of industries throughout the city and throughout the world. Music industry is a great example of that. You need to understand the different restraints and constraints around laws, international markets, and you need to become an expert in that space. You also need to have a pulse on the competition. And finally, and again, I'm really happy that Ben went before me, it's all about your users. If you don't think about your users and define user behavior first, your product literally doesn't matter. You need to get your user behavior down, and that's one of the first tools, and probably the first and last tools, that you think about when you think about the product release cycle. Starting with one thing is incredibly hard. So I rely on this set of product tools to kind of get me across the line. User research is key. At Spotify, we're incredibly lucky to have a product insights team. We have people dedicated to qualitative and quantitative research, and I make it a point to talk to our customers, artists, managers, whenever I can. It's a great way to think about how to walk in their shoes and think about the problems they're experiencing day in and day out. Roadmaps are huge. MVPs are version one of your entire product or of your entire mission. So roadmaps help share the different contexts that you can think about when you're presenting your MVP to stakeholders or senior leadership. If you share your intentions, you'll be able to get buy-in in an easier way. And I probably haven't spent enough time talking about prioritization, but rigorous prioritization is key. As a PM, it's your job to make sure that your team, your designers, your engineers, are constantly focused on the most important work at all times. As a final note, the products you ship and the metrics you move are your deliverables. We don't really get portfolios as product managers. We don't ship code. We don't have wireframes that we can show off. Valuable, efficient delivery is the value and the value add we can bring to our team. Figure out how you can do that and how you can make yourself useful in a different kind of way that doesn't need a shiny portfolio on the side. One more note before I go. I have to say I love coming to the product school and connecting with all of you. I love the Q&A session. Unfortunately, I don't get to do that today. 
So please connect with me. I'm happy to answer questions and reach out um, with any other things or follow-ups on MVPs or product management. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.